Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back. It's the Book Riot Podcast. Today is Thursday, October 8th, 2020. Quite a bit of book news. One of the big book news weeks of the year. In uh, the biggest story we're not going to talk about right now, because next week we're going to devote a whole episode to Louise Gluck winning the 2020 Nobel Prize in Literature. I have to say I was very excited and extremely surprised for a lot of reasons. I'm not going to say right now because that's what the other episode is for. Rebecca, <laughs> do you have a three-second reaction to Louise Gluck winning the Nobel Prize? I, my first reaction was, yay, the, it's a woman, and now I need to read some Louise Gluck. Oh, I have some I was, Louise Gluck. You're going to like it. You're going to like this. This is great okay. for you in terms of discovery. Well, then, all right. Yeah. Tell me, do you have a, where to start? Um, I don't know the poems. You know what we should do? Maybe we'll, we'll cover this offline. Since it's poetry, um, it's, you can read it in pieces. Mm-hmm. And I've got a few favorites. Maybe we can have a close read corner as part of our Nobel Prize. That would be great. Episode, which uh, is one of my favorite things to do. Um, we'll talk about it. But anyway, next week, we're going to record uh, an dedicated, dedicated to the 2012 Nobel Prize awarding. And especially since it's in English and it's poetry, I think we might actually be able to talk a little more substantively about the some of the work, at least. Mm-hmm. Um, but stay tuned for that. Um, we've got a little birdie here, but i got a bunch of follow-up to hit you with first. A lot of follow-up coming out of Half-Baked Ideas. <laughs> Maybe is yeah. no surprise. Our co-worker Clint said, well, they have the helper, helper.io, the notaries for the public. It's called the social credit system in China. Not what we're looking for, Clint. <laughs> I know you thought you were being funny. That's not what we're looking for. This is opt-in. This is opt-in. Um, I'm not sure if this person didn't, it doesn't look like they explicitly gave their permission to say that name, so I won't. Someone said, Jeff, are you just looking for permission to eat hard shell tacos? <laughs> That's one more shape. We're up to what, three now? Try again. Try again. <laughs> Thank you for playing. Try again. Also, hard shell tacos, the hard shell tacos I grew up with, like the El Paso that were shrink wrapped in a box that I got as a store mm-hmm. as a kid, like, they now are supposed to taste stale to me. Like they were, they've been sitting there. They don't taste good. You're shrink wrapping chips. That's no yeah. good. Nothing good comes out of that. I have real like father of the bride, the hot dog buns and the hot mm. dogs don't come in equal size packages <laughs> or like equally quantitied packages. I have those same feelings about ta- the hard shell tacos. Like I you know, have fondness probably from childhood for those same El Paso hard shell you know taco shells but they come in packs of like 10 or 12 and there are two people in my house that's a lot of taco and there's right we can't eat all of them in one taco dinner and i don't want to throw them away but then inevitably by the next taco night the remaining ones are stale and i just can i get a six pack um a la carte taco shells also while we're on the subject the taco shells are low quality give me a high quality tortilla fried is a hard shell mm-hmm. then we can have a conversation about it then we can have it's like if you don't have a donut store in your town saying twinkies are your substitute well twinkies are great but come on 
we all know the score uh, mm-hmm. about this particular one. Uh, another one, Rebecca, one of our, a different Rebecca, who's a contributor to Book Riot, said <laughs> as a bike rider, she very much wants the multiple kinds of horn communication because she gets honked at all the time. And she and she's like, am I supposed to wave or flip you off, right? So the Contra, <laughs> like, which one am I supposed to do here? I don't know. It feels like a Seinfeld episode. Like maybe we need... What, actually, it's weird that as a biker, you have more hand signals available to you. You can, you can do the, you know, people are looking at you. You're not buried in your car and your tinted windows. Bob's tinted windows. Bob says tinted windows. Mm-hmm. That's one weird detail I remember about Bob. Um, <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> and so she's like, yes, I didn't think about it for car to non-car communications, especially because yeah. bikes exist in this weird liminal space. They're not pedestrians. They're also not cars. And it feels like there's a lot of jockeying. Portland's a very, it's a robust bike community. So there's a lot of negotiating each other around bikes and cars. And I'd very much like a, I just want to know, I want to let you know I'm here and I see you and I'm just going to zoom around you or I'm following slowly till the light and I'm not mad. I'm just here. I just, like I need an add a girl, add a boy, add a you and add a you horn. Um, you know, cur- courtesy horn. That's that's very interesting as well. So I thought about that. Uh, let's see. I got a couple more here. Uh, Teresa says she also was taught by her dad to add cream or milk to the bottom of my mug before pouring the coffee. When the coffee gets added, it mixes in with the cream and self-stirs. No need That's true. to dirty a spoon. I only I suppose this only works if you are not adding sweetener or other sundry to your Joe. Rebecca, she says that means it's scientific. You're hundred percent on point with this. <laughs> counter argument. <laughs> counter argument. Under what world is cream that you poured your coffee into sufficiently stirred it's not it's you need another (laughs) half turn at least i a hundred percent disagree and i want to say that you can also put i don't drink sweetener in my coffee but from my barista days like you can put the sweetener in at the same time you put in like your splash of cream Mm. you put in your spoonful of sugar and then when you pour the hot coffee over it the sugar dissolves more effectively than putting the sugar into the hot coffee not while you're stirring because you're already stirring (laughs) Okay. I'm just saying. So, Teresa... I'm, I'm aiming to have a spoon-free existence with my coffee. Is, is it dirty? I mean, again, I don't know your all situation. Everyone is different. Live your life. Is one dirty spoon? Like, you're like, boy, you know what? What We did great this month. We were, my, we were down 30 dirty spoons this month. <laughs> and I can feel it. Can't you feel it? I'm da- I was down 30 dirty spoons this month. What, what happened to us? Look at the, the sun is shining and the sky is bluer. <laughs> Look, I think it's fine that you want to stir your coffee. There's something contemplative about that. I'm just saying it's not necessary. There are other ways. I didn't say it was necessary. I'm just saying you ain't stirred. It's not mixed. Come on. I'm stirred enough. I don't need it. Yeah, I don't need it. Fine, fine. Live your 80% life. It's cool. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Where are we going next? Oh, um, Isabel writes in to says there is currently being kickstarted a dating app for book lovers. Ooh. Uh, it's called You Know. I'll put a link in the show notes as always, bookriot.com slash listen. A dating app for book readers. Uh, I think they're going to have a tough time meeting their goal of $40,000. Currently, they're at 2891 Again, Rebecca and I are out of the dating app market. I'm not sure if this is interesting. We were more looking for discovery of you know, other stuff people stuff. like that people yeah. like. I'm not sure that 
someone else's taste of books is in my top 10 heuristics for um, pair matching, frankly, to, to be honest with you. If that's what you care about, great. Um, but for most of us, I think a broader spectrum cultural experience discovery, especially in these days when that's all we're doing is discovering mm -hmm. culture in a lot of ways, is interesting too. I guess maybe as a – what, what if as Goodreads had a feature where you could turn on the dating app piece of it? Like it, mm. like don't, don't go create the network. M mobilize well, the network. Yeah, I think Facebook at one point tried to build in some sort of yeah. dating situation to Messenger. So I can see Goodreads or Amazon, you know, wanting to do something similar. Yeah, I definitely use it, what we were talking about on Half-Baked Ideas, as a sort of a way to get to a person, like if I'm talking to another person, like a way to get to sort of their overall curiosity and perspective. Mm -hmm. And for myself, it's about like, oh, we have similar music interests in common. So what do you listen to that I haven't heard of yet and discovering other things? I think that in that same way that like we've both confessed on this show to like, we're not actually that interested in like visiting bookstores when we travel because like I've seen some bookstores in my time. Um, books as a tool for dating is not like I'm not dating, but I don't think that's the way that I would be going. I'd be curious. Anyway. The, like, yeah, I hardly yeah. ever talk about books with my friends in person or like when I meet mm -hmm. new people, we're hardly ever actually talking about books. Um, but it's interesting to have that as a proxy for other things, I think. I mean, maybe, maybe people are interested for those of you out there that are, are dating or interested in dating is, is some sort of like, is a, a primary filter being an interest in books interesting at all to you shoot us an email mm -hmm. podcast at bookride.com isabel also says um she grew up eating naked bananas the mom <laughs> her mom would split bananas between my sisters and they would be peeled i have not however remained a naked banana eater now i'm a civilized <laughs> adult <laughs> I was once a naked banana eater is like among the top five things that it's like a William S. Burroughs <laughs> phrase. Um, I didn't think of this. My children right now are part time naked banana eaters because sometimes I too do this. You peel, mm. you peel the banana first or after the fact. I do often cut the banana while while it's unpeeled and then do the half peel on each so they have a little holder to hold on to. But sometimes I have to admit. I subject them to the the wilding process <laughs> that is eating a half of a naked banana. So, Isabel, thank you for that. Mallory wrote in to say, um, the differentiated type of car horns and signals made me think of a comedy podcast, episode of a comedy podcast called My Brother, My Brother, on episode 280 in 2015. Nice recall, Mallory. Or at least Ooh, you knew Mallory, it was there. That's impressive. Um, they invented something similar. And in fact, Lynn Mel Miranda, who's a big fan of the podcast, loved it so much that he often does a great job honking motion when he does events on TV, TV in homage to this idea. So she gave me a link. I'll put a link in the show <laughs> notes there as well. I like the great job car, car horn. Yeah, I, I think mm -hmm. that's the secondary. If, if you've got two... The next one needs to be positive, right? Then yeah, you can reserve yes. the, the OG horn for, for, hey, you, no bad, bad, bad job. Yeah, I think we also need a, like, cute dog sure. honk moment because that happens to me. And I will be like, why is this car slowing down or why is this car honking uh, at me? And 99% of the time it's someone like, your dog is so pretty. And I'm like, yeah, thank you. But now my heart's beating too fast for me to appreciate mm. this. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I guess we weren't the first to the undiscovered country 
of differentiated car horn signal. Puts us in good company. Yeah, it's you know that's that's proof of concept, right? Um, right there. So okay, I think let's take a quick sponsor break, and I got one more follow up thing to do. Well, we got a couple more follow up things to do. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, this one was interesting. Allison wrote in, who's a um, public librarian. Um, I don't want to say more about that because I don't actually gave permission for anything else. Hmm. But she was doing a little noodling on the Amazon lacking of discounting across the board, as we've oh, seen before. Mm-hmm. And she got into it because she looks researches books for her library and buys them from different sources. And she gets she, so she was looking for. Gentleman and the Thief by Sarah Eden. It's a. It's not out yet, so it doesn't come out till November third. And she says there was no discount applied. Maybe Amazon doesn't discount till after the book is published. Oftentimes they will be discounted, but sometimes they get discounted more. When I do pre-orders on Amazon and the discount falls below the level um, that the book actually is sold at on release date, you get a refund back for some of that. I'm mm. not sure if that's things people knew, but there there was no discount there so then she went to go look at baker and taylor which apparently her library does some ordering from and it's only a five percent discount from baker and taylor which is adding a riddle to a mystery because generally that's a 40 to 45 percent discount so that you know stores can mark it up so i don't know i don't know if that's a corollary or it exists together at the molten spinning core of causation here but that is a very very strange situation for there to be in. She pulled up another, the first book in their series series to see if it was any different. It came out on 9-3-19, and it's discounted 15% on Amazon, and again, only 5% in, at Baker & Taylor, which is very unusual. She said, this is one publisher, Shadow Mountain Publishing. Um, in disclosure, they've done some advertising with us before. Um, but I thought that was really interesting. I hadn't gone deeper into the stack to see from whence... Um, this might have come. I don't know the relationship of Amazon's discounting to Baker and Taylor's discounting. The Baker and Taylor one is even weirder to me. Well, I mean, tell me right. I mean, Baker and Taylor, they, they get books on the shores of in and book, bookstores. And if you're five getting a 5% discount off street price as in any bookstore, you're not carrying that book, right? Right. It's weird. Any thoughts? Maybe it's, maybe it's idiosyncratic, but she's like, it really got me thinking about mm. what is going on here. I don't know why that would be. Yeah, I don't know either. Yeah, anyway. I have to ponder some more. So that was interesting. I am here always. All, the always already of my hereness is for weird <laughs> discounting things. Um, okay. We had a final little yeah. birdie from 
news of the Underground Railroad after we talked about just those very haunting images from the set and our little birdie got to view the first three episodes Mm. as part of a soup. I know, right? Like, so jealous as part of a super secret thing that the little birdie was involved in. Uh, And they said that it is even better than it looks and that they were very glad to know that there was a counselor on set because it is difficult to watch and must I can only imagine difficult to be part of. Right. So I'm very ready. I think I'm just going to have to steal myself. You know, we're going to take a lot of deep breaths, but we're going to get through it. Because you know what's not happening is me watching one episode of Underground Railroad and stopping. Like, that's not no. how this is going to go down either. Um, speaking of, I, I don't remember what it's on the calendar for, but we have an Adaptation Nation episode coming up that's going to encompass High Fidelity, The Good Lord Bird, which I just thought of it because I just wrote it down that it's out. All the episodes are out now on Showtime, so I've got to make some time to watch out. Was the Underground Railroad the third one in our trifecta for this, or no, was it something it was, else? We had... Little Fires, I think oh, the little potential fires list is everywhere. Yeah. It's been out for little a while. Little Fires everywhere. High Fidelity was on the yeah. list. The Good Lord Bird and Enola Holmes. I'm definitely going to be watching Enola Holmes. I'm definitely going to be watching Underground Railroad. I really I don't have Showtime. That's the one I don't, I'm not okay. sure I'm going to get that. All right. Can well, we one off that? Take... Can you iTunes that yeah. episode by episode? I don't know how this works know. anymore. I'm not sure. You'll well, yeah, we'll have to do some research. But even if we don't have the Good Lord Bird, we still yeah. have Enola Holmes, Little Fires, High Fidelity, or not the Good Lord Bird. We have Enola Holmes, High Fidelity, Little Fires. Everywhere. Yeah, there's yeah. there's plenty coming out. I guess late breaking news: Your beloved Dickinson is getting season two coming out in January. So you have yes. that to look forward to as well. Um, I have my there's a bone remains to be picked as you all know with Dickinson for me which is why that's the bone um, <laughs> Jen and I talked about Dune in the trailer and how dismayed we were but also skeptical we were that this was going to come out in December at which point it was hard for either of us to imagine feeling good about going to a movie theater um, Warner Brothers I think it was a Warner Brothers movie or whoever the production company behind Dune agrees and is moving it all the way to October of 2021. Wow. Um, We've got some big ones pushed back. Um, Bond, which um, No Time Mm -hmm. to Die, which we were going to do a Casino Royale Book Nerd Movie Club episode around the the premiere of that. The beginning of the Craig with the end of the Craig got moved all the way to next summer. Um, The Batman movie got all the way to 2022. Jurassic World, the next in the Chris Pratt um, version of Jurassic World, which are terrible, but I enjoy them. There I am. I don't know what to say. Dinosaurs running around. It's great stuff. Moved all the way back to 2022. Feels like a capitulation in a lot of ways. Um, Tenet, for whatever reason, decided they needed to come out. Nothing else is. And I don't know if you saw that Regal Cinemas is not going out of business, but is now closing all of its cinemas. It was keeping them open hmm. as sort of a skeleton crew for Tenant, I think. And they said that they cited No Time to Die being the writing on the wall to close down until there are some tentpole movies to go see. Jungle Cruise, which my kids and I were very much looking forward to seeing, moved all the way back to next summer from this summer. Who knows when Pixar's Soul, which we were also looking for. I mean, hmm. all getting moved back. I mean, not a surprise, but it feels like Suddenly, everyone came to their senses about movies all in one go, and I don't know yeah. which which of these was the precipitating um, domino show title, but they're <laughs> all like real delays of 
several seasons of big movies. So there we go. We're into the new paradigm over there, too. Yeah, I've been wondering because I pass a Regal Theater here that's had, you know, their big banners mm-hmm. out about how can you you can reserve seats online and I never see any cars in the parking lot because who wants to go yeah. sit in a closed room for three hours with strangers right now? And it does seem to me like it was just a belated acceptance of reality that the writing is finally on the walls. And I think it's the right choice to make. Like, I wish that they would get to the step of let's just put these on on demand and give a higher price to them because I think you could get you know, folks who would pay mm. fifteen ninety nine to, you know, watch Dune at home on a Saturday night. Like, I don't know what's happening in your house, but my house is getting near like the bottom of our Netflix queue. <laughs> so. Um I may have rewatched the entire last season of the Great British Baking Show over the last few days, so just to tell you where I am. Uh-huh. My brother and his friends are doing something I wish I had half baked ideas. They did a fantasy draft. Um, based on the first episode of this current season of the Great British Baking Show, which thank God is out, <laughs> no where you get points, you, you know, you basically draft the bakers at the beginning, uh-huh. and you get points if they get Star Baker or handshakes or if they make the finals, which I thought was fun. That's really fun. So maybe there's we'll only s- been what two eps, two, two eps, episodes. Yeah, right. We could backwards engineer that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but anyway, I thought that was a really fun idea. Um, I don't know. How are we getting? Oh, we were just vamping off um, movies and TVs and, and TV shows and yeah. everything else like that. I, the, I don't know what the data has been like. Um, there's a movie podcast that I listen to, but I've been off of it since I've been gone to the movies called The Big Picture that The Ringer does. And they were talking. I listened to them early in the cycle when some stuff got straight to video, like um, the one I almost watched, but passed the window of interest for me was The King of New York, the Pete Davidson movie, went straight to mm-hmm. video on demand. There was another one that was a twenty dollar one. Um, oh, Trolls World Tour! We spent twenty bucks on that for my kids to watch. Yeah, as a one off. Okay. And then Mulan was the big tent pole of the summer one, which went to Disney Plus. But then you had to pay in addition to Disney Plus to watch it. Now it's available on vis- video on demand. This is all a long way of saying I don't know how those have performed. My guess is that if those had performed great or even decently, we'd see more of those. So I'm sort of inferring that they haven't mm. performed well enough to justify. Let's just, why not wait? Why not wait? Why not wait? Um, But lots of interesting TV coming out still, I have to say, um, in in the next few weeks. So anyway, also, while we're just talking about TV and movies, have you seen the trailer for the Oliver Sacks movie? The Oliver Sacks documentary? I don't believe I have. I'll find a link to you. Um, okay. It looks incredible. Oliver Sacks, as as longtime listener of the show might know, is in the category for... The Book Riot Podcast list of most interesting people in the world. Um, yep. So anyway, there's a documentary coming that. out uh, about Oliver Sacks. I'm looking forward to it. We had, while we're in TV land still, we DVR'd the HBO adaptation of The Outsider mm. when it aired, I think either earlier this year or late last year. I'm not even sure how long it's been sitting. Like there's 10 episodes. I don't know how long they've been sitting in my DVR. Mm-hmm. At the time we were like, oh, we're going to watch this. And we just never got to it. So we've been going through that now. And having never read the book, and I don't read a lot of horror, I didn't like fully comprehend what I was getting myself mm. into <laughs> with Stephen King. But Bob and I just keep sitting there. It's like, have dinner, get brave, spend an hour being like, oh my God. <laughs> That's amazing. But it's great. It is very good. So I do, if you're looking for something spooky, especially for the season, we sort of accidentally gave ourselves seasonally spooky viewing, but I'm enjoying it. All right. Uh, I guess let's take a break and we'll get into actual new news here. 
MacArthur Fellows, always an interesting list. Um, I think I've said before, half jokingly, but actually very seriously, you could do worse than to make your Twitter feed just people who have won the MacArthur Fellowship, um, if mm-hmm. you, you know, depending on what you want out of Twitter. Right now, what I want out of nothing, I've been thinking about coming back just for this kind of stuff. I want to know what, say, um, Larissa Fasthorse, who won a, who, um, Native American perspectives and broader society as a playwright one. What is she tweeting about? What is she into? Like, um, and the writers on this playwrights is kind of beyond the purview of what we generally talk about, but um, mm-hmm. I think she qualifies as someone relevant for this story. Tracy Millen Cotton, a writer, sociologist, and public scholar, very interesting writer and scholar there in a, in a public way. N.K. Jemison, uh, shouts man, well, so well, maybe deserved. even a little overdue in I thinking think, about it yeah. weirdly. I think it's a little bit late yeah. for N.K. Jemison, but you know, belated mm-hmm. finally. And then um, also maybe a little late for Jacqueline Woodson. Yeah. Um, yes. Better late than never, maybe. But I don't know. I, I don't know exactly how these things are supposed to go. But this is 500 Gs. Um, Woodson and Jemison are professional writers. But that is still enough money to make a difference. Um, Jemison oh, yeah. talked to me a long time ago in a Reading Lives about the money, getting the money put together and all those sorts of things and how it worked and her dad moving in with her and, you know, getting advanced that actually made that possible and moving from a day job into where she could make enough money to write full time. Um, I don't know. You know, we've talked before about the MacArthur's, like, what would, what do you want it to do? I think the stated goals are to give these people more time to do the things they would do if they had more money to do them. And Jemison Mm -hmm. seems now, again, give her all the money she yeah, it's not about that. It seems like five, six years ago, you may have accelerated that process with this. That's why I say maybe a little too late, right? She's got adaptations coming. Jackie Woodson, I'm sure she could still use it. She's a professional writer and speaker. I would love to see who's who's Jackie Woodson now, but who's 28? Who you know? I don't I don't know who's the Jemison now, who's 31 or something like that. Um, who has one or two books. I mean, Jemison has, what, three complete series out now? I'm not trying to give any shade in the Carther. I'm just trying to figure out, like, if this is a seed fund to get these people. Yeah. I don't know. I think even somebody like like Alyssa Cole, who's doing really yeah. interesting, like groundbreaking stuff in romance and now moving into other genres mm. that's, you know, beloved and very well recognized by her writing community and her group of fans. But the time and money to like sit down and explore some other spaces would be, I would love to see somebody like her on the list. Um, yeah. 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 You, you yeah. could do worse than looking at like um, first year fellows as te- creative writing teachers in MFA programs. Cause they're the ones who are really trying to pull it together and, I don't know. Just a thought. Just as I was thinking, I was, the the gem, Jemison was like, "Is it late? Why does that matter?" The only reason it might matter mm-hmm. is, is there some writer that we could accelerate their career and elevate their profile um, in a way? I'm sure Jemison can still use. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is a life changing in a way in which we, the reader, benefit greatly, and she her own um, writing career can take a, a disjunctive change upward and however she would imagine it could be wrong about that but that was my one thought um 
about this. Also, Christina Rivera Garza is a fiction writer. This is not a name that I know. So this is the name I'm adding to my list here. Mm -hmm. Um, The blurb here is exploring culturally constructed notions of language, memory, and gender from a transnational perspective. Um, So that's a discovery for me, for sure. And then all the scientists and filmmakers and um, always, you know, a really interesting list. My, My favorite award, I'll just put it out there. Just in terms of looking, because it's both it, both inside and outside my purview of things I know something about, which is a nice way of getting me interested. Any other thoughts about MacArthur? It's, it's always interesting to see, but there's like less to say. <laughs> there's always less to say yeah. about it, I guess. Um, in that way. Yeah, I think it's just such an interesting award because of the breadth of the fields yeah. that it can include. You know, like I'm looking at the top row here, and Tressie McMillan Cottom is between an econometrician, which is a job I didn't know existed. I don't know what that means. <laughs> That's like something out of like a George Orwell. Uh, book yeah, or something. You, uh, his name is Isaiah Andrews, and he develops robust methods of statistical inference to address key challenges in economics and social science. I thought that was just an economist, um, but okay. I'm in. I'm yeah. interested. Yeah. Right. And then there's an evolutionary geneticist mm. and an anthropologist and media person and a cognitive neuroscientist. And what I really want is like a podcast that matches up groups of two or three of these people just to talk to each oh. other. Like, like an inch, like overhearing the dinner parties between the MacArthur fellows each year. And what are the things that they would learn from each other? And what would we learn from all of them? And like in that sort of um, turn of the century, like salon Austrian style shop yeah, 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 yeah. mode, right? Like what, what's the adjacent possible there and what would they all sort of discover if we really put their brains together is something that I find really appealing as a concept. So if anybody, the MacArthur foundation, you know, want some ideas about how that podcast could work, hit me up. You can also have the name for free, the Mike Arthur podcast. Um, <laughs> Jeff. No. Uh, more news. <laughs> National Book Award finalists. Mm, your your boy, Ruman Alam, I think has the book of the fall. I think so. People are talking about it. I'm seeing, I've recommended it a couple of times, even though I haven't read it, with the caveat that I haven't read it. I think I am going to read this because I'm an idiot. You're just going to have to take a lot of deep breaths. Uh, interesting list. Children's So in fiction, Leave the World Behind, Ruman Alam, A Children's Bible by Lydia Millet. Millet, do you know? It's Millet. Millet. Yeah. Uh, Secret Lives of Church Ladies by Disha Filia, West Virginia University Press. Shouts to WVU. That is a glow mm-hmm. up for them. Um, Shuggy Brain by Douglas Stewart from Grove and Interior Chinatown by Charles Yu, which is awesome, by the way. Um what else do you want to talk about? Anything else? Here? I think the national this fine this list every year is the one that we're like, have we read any of these? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just excited that I've read the Ruman Alam. I'm definitely I love Lydia Millet, and she's one of those writers who like every book is different. Yeah, that's um, true. It, that she's never broken out in the way of a Colson Whitehead. Or I think we were talking offline about like that you're seeing some potential there for maybe Yad Jesse yes. to do that same thing, yes. where each one of her books is something different and surprising. And Lydia Millet, I think, is a little her work is like a little too weird for just like the mainstream mm. fiction reader that's always been my interpretation it's like she's just a little too weird to have gotten super super popular but each book is really different you just don't know what you're going to get um in terms of like genre and mm. perspective and i really like that about her so i'll be picking this up and i've been hearing good things really good things about the secret lives of church ladies and stuff from sort of also within like the southern community mm. um, around that so i'm excited to pick that up 
and, and check that out. And the Charles Yu. I like him so much, and I haven't read Interior Chinatown yet. So I think I'm actually going to pick up most of these. Interesting. I mean, again, availability bias, Vanishing Half, Transcendent Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Again, I haven't read any of these. Oh, I read Interior Chinatown. I really like that. Um, Charles Yu also, I mean, you kind of know what you're going to get in terms of it's going to be different. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, I, The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, that's a Southern... I, I'm going to go Google this because I, I don't know anything about it. Um, is there a more literary title than a children's Bible? I just was thinking about this. <laughs> it's so... It's so <laughs> Uh, it is a very lit fic yeah title. yeah it's a, the children's yeah. bible um so they're the they're the uh we may have to do an it book version of uh leave the world behind mm, mm-hmm. we can get one of the maybe some of the sff yeah maybe sharif or jen will come talk to us about it talk me down off the ledge yeah you know it's not there's not much to say it's not sci-fi fantasy oh it's not no it's spec it's fic like, though yeah, it's spec fic about like a thing that could happen yesterday. That's spec fic. We, we've had this yeah. argument like six years ago. <laughs> we've done this. And I won. So. It is. It's, yeah, it's spec fic. There, it doesn't contain like genre elements. Oh, like you don't need to be a sci-fi oh my fantasy God. reader. The genre dripping with disdain as it came out of your no, mouth No, no, not dripping with oh No, I'm just trying God. to make the distinction. Okay. I love okay. genre. Okay. I'm just saying you don't need to be a sci-fi or fiction reader or like familiar with those tropes and concepts to get with Leave the World Behind. All right. I mean, you just, it was a genre. Wow, wow. Shade, shade, shade. I'm giving. Don't you project I'm giving that you shade a hard onto time. me? All right. Um. You know this story. We haven't seen anything like this, to my knowledge. I want to tell you, tell me if I'm wrong. Sienna Ferris, named VP and Director of Multicultural Marketing at Simon and Schuster. Um. I'm going to read from the the brief in Publishers Weekly, the unsigned brief. Um, she will be charged with development of, quote, the in-house proficiency and resources that will enable us to give these books every chance to succeed in the marketplace. Um, Liz Pearl, who is the, I believe, executive editor of Simon Schuster, I'm not sure, um, serve as a company-wide senior marketing expert and champion for our multicultural publishing. Her responsibilities will include developing and sharing best practices for publishing multicultural works, strategizing marketing taxes and cam- tactics and campaigns for can't strategize tactics um and campaigns for individual <laughs> titles and publishing programs with colleagues from across the company development Your favorite distinction oh, yeah, yeah. no the, my favorite distinction is the difference between a difference and a distinction <laughs> developing targeted marketing and merchandising programs establishing relationships with key media influencers booksellers and librarians and serving as the liaison with internal external partners to promote simon schuster adult and children's diverse publishing that was a mouthful and i i, I think the mouthful is sort of part of the point here? Yeah. What do you think about this, Rebecca? I'll throw it to you first. I think this better come with a big, fat budget. Yeah, there you go, right? Yeah, that's interesting. Like, it's not a mystery how to make a book successful. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it, what makes a book good is a question of all kinds of things. But what makes a book successful is largely a dump truck of money behind it. And... There are plenty of successful books that a lot of readers would say aren't good or at least don't rise to the mm. level of like attention and readership that they get cough crawdads. And 
I think that it's a great, I'm excited to see Simon & Schuster acknowledge that there is work to be done building an effective platform for shouting out about the books that they publish that are by writers who are not white people. I think that's Mm. what they're really talking about here. When you talk about like multicultural books is people who aren't white. They're not talking about Mormons here, Mm. I don't think, right? (laughs) Right. And, you know, I I think it's true that most readers see themselves as just wanting to find a good book to read and wanting to read a good story. So like my perspective as a person who reads a lot of books and exists adjacent to publishing is you just have to stop treating books by black people like they're different Mm. from books by white people. And you have to stop assuming that white readers don't relate to or understand stories about people who are different from them. Like, give these books big budgets, advertise them broadly and not just to niche audiences of brown people or niche audiences of queer people that you think will read those books, but advertise them to everyone. Mm. You know, like assume that Reese Witherspoon will pick your book for her book club, even though it's not by a white person. Mm. Um, Like this is a real problem. And I think it's mostly a problem that is solved with money and with not treating books by black authors, books by people from other marginalized groups as somehow different. Put them in, like give them all of the same support and budget and privilege that the James Pattersons get or that the midlist white writers get and see what happens. And I think that they will find that those books become successful too. Like I'm, I'm just not convinced that a book by a black author needs a special marketing strategy. Yeah. I guess that's what I'd, I'd love to know. Like the, the keystroke solution is to add a zero to the marketing budget kind of situation of books by <laughs> non-white people. Right. Is that the Occam's razor version and maybe it's both end. Maybe it's column A and column B, which you you can add a zero. I mean, just to sort of be reductive about it. But I think the last piece is especially interesting. Internal external partners to promote Simon, or I'm sorry, establishing relationships with key media influencers, booksellers, and librarians. Does that mean additional outreach to black bookstores, to black media that maybe wasn't being done before? I mean... I guess it's a, that's what I'm curious about. In addition to, I think you're right, is is let's make sure there's at least parity, you know, in terms of marketing spend or publicity and marketing resources, because marketing can have a bunch of different mm-hmm. um, bunch of different light items associated with it. And then once you've done that, what else? Where else do you think there's opportunity to get books in front of people that's outside of that? You know, I think that's a wonderfully interesting question because mm-hmm. it makes sense to me that maybe you do want to get books by black people more in front of black people themselves. Maybe part of the problem is not marketing to black people where they are or different kinds of ways. Are they targeting on whatever? Sure. Like, I'd be fascinated to know what the, what you know, kind of what she imagines the opportunity space looks like. Um, because, you know, this is one thing we've talked about a lot, the books out there, and they just don't tend to make bestseller lists in fiction and nonfiction. There are some, of course, but on the whole, you could, you would, it's not surprising, let's put it this way, to go a few weeks and not see a book by a non-white person on the top 20 hardcover fiction list. It's just right. not common. It's just, you know, it's not great. You don't love it, but it's not unusual. And how do you change that, I think, is really, really, really important. Like key media, like maybe mm-hmm. you, us in the media have some role to play in this that we don't frankly understand even what we don't understand. Um, about what's available or not available to us. 
in that regard too. So I'll be watching that with real, real interest. And you wonder if it's a situation in which this is a, you know, is there, is this a world in which if you do your job right, you, um, your role gets illuminated, right? Like if you build in practices and ways of being that you don't need the job anymore, or do they imagine this is a forever, never amen, that it's going to exist outside of, you know, quote unquote, regular marketing processes? And how do you integrate the two, I think is a really interesting problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is a fascinating question. Um, Okay. (sighs) Um, (laughs) That was a sigh of existential. Well, the Women's Prize excluding trans and non-binary writers on basis of sex divine by law. There's a piece in the Guardian. um, What's the byline here? I'm looking for Alison Flood. Um, Amize's book became the first non-binary transgender author to be nominated for the Women's Prize in 2019 has said they will not let their future novels be entered for the award after the prize asked them for information as their sex divined by law so we talked about this story last year um, and apparently the Women's Prize last year didn't know of her gender identity when they long list <laughs> reading the books and described in long listed um, their book last year. Um, I So, wow, it's interesting, right? Like, the bylaw thing feels really creepy. It's a women's prize. Should that... Ch- I don't know what the right answer here is in a lot of different ways. I don't have a lot of skin in this game, but I feel like there's some work to be done on the women's prize part, but I don't exactly know what, Rebecca. What do you think? Yeah. I think that we're seeing I think we're seeing this in a lot of places in culture right now where a lot of spaces that were originally created for women in response to women being excluded from whatever the thing was mm-hmm. and the women's prize is definitely that it was created in um, it was created after the booker failed to shortlist a single female writer right. in 1991 so it was like okay if the if the establishment won't recognize women then let's make a place for women to go do their right. own thing and like certainly women are not caught up in all the cultural ways yet. But one of the things that has happened is that as we do make progress with gender equality, we make some movement and now we're really understanding that gender is not binary just between men and women. The spaces that were created for women in response to having been excluded are being asked and I think need to expand to include people of other genders that are also excluded by those spaces that just historically hold up men. So the women's prize, like, if I'm in charge of that room, I think needs a rebrand mm. and needs to find a way to talk about itself as celebrating books by women and trans and non-binary writers or celebrating books by people whose gender makes them historically excluded from whatever the establishment is, you know, or like, I mean, the shorthand would be like celebrating books by people who aren't cis men. Mm. Um, and that's really, I think, what Emma Z is getting to is... Like if if your prize was created, like the genesis of the women's prize is women's work deserves to be celebrated and acknowledged as well. And the traditional mode of doing that in the book are we're not getting celebration. Like if we can take it as fundamental that people of all genders deserve to have their work recognized and the old school places like the booker aren't doing it, then you're not being more inclusive. You're not actually meeting your mission and evolving with the times. Mm. And I think that's what the women's prize needs to get to here is like, do you identify as like female trans or non-binary something like that? Yeah. Or even like all, you know, women and non-binary identifying writers and open it up, like asking for 
evidence of your sex as defined by law is not inclusive and it's not liberating. And I don't think it's actually mission focused for what the Women's Prize is supposed to do. It's missing the forest for one tree. Yeah, you know, when you get into asking for something defined by law, that right. you may, as an inclusive, progressive organization, you probably have lost your way a little bit, right? Because everyone knows the law is, encapsulates the full, the full reality of, of lived human experience. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting moment. And I think it, this is the kind of situation in which um, you're asked to ask hard questions, you know, about what the reason for being for your organization, mm-hmm. your award is, what are you trying to do? And in sticking to your guns, um, what other kinds of harm are you doing? Yes. You know, if you're in the business of, is there, are you in the business for equality and representation for women in awards? Or are you in the business for representation of marginalized people in awards? Right. And those are not necessarily and even can be counterproductive, um, as we found over time, as, as our, I'll say speak for myself, my awareness about how to think about these things has changed and continues um, to evolve. Um, yeah, I want to say, like, I, I think it's a good thing that the guidelines for an award that were created in 1991 are no longer yeah, acceptable right. to us culturally. This means we're moving in a, a bigger and more inclusive direction that the way we think about who's being excluded and what kinds of spaces that we want to have and what kinds of prizes to designate to give to people who are historically excluded like that that's expanding mm-hmm. and I, I hope that the folks behind the women's prize will reconsider this because I, I think the impetus for creating the prize in the, per, the first place came from you know good intentions yes. and that the women's prize has done good work and the way to continue doing good work is to not be obsessed with the definition that you created like 35 years ago yeah um sundry and other things lumberjanes and development hbo max it's about time woo, woo, it's about woo, 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 time woo, 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 i know there's been mm-hmm. a lot of go-rounds with this lumberjanes um the great um series of graphic novels that i enjoyed on my own, I've enjoyed with my kids. Um, if you like Lumberjanes, might I suggest, if you have HBO Max already, a cartoon series that's there that my family and I have enjoyed a great deal called Summer Camp Island. I think if you enjoy Lumberjanes, you'll enjoy that. Very much looking forward to this. In news I'm not excited about, Fox News starting a book line at HarperCollins. On the one hand, no thank you. On the other hand, I'm surprised this doesn't already exist frankly. Yeah. Um, That's where I landed too. like, you know, Fox and HarperCollins are both owned by Rupert Murdoch. It's really just surprising that it hasn't happened yet. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll join Regnery. That's a Simon and Schuster imprint as the two pens for um, right wing conservative publications. There's books get sold. There you go. Um, the Super Rooster, it's been a while since we talked about the turn of books, but they're now seeing the Super Rooster, which is they, they every year the Morning News has done a bracket um, of the most interesting books of the year to declare a, a winner of the Rooster, which is, you know, just for fun. But now they're putting all the winners in a basket, in a bracket, pardon me, um, <laughs> to have them uh, claw and fight each other for the victor. So I thought that was, you know, outside the norm of this interesting to see rebecca i think you hit the nail on the head it'll be anything that's not underground railroad winning this would be an upset i think yeah at this point too. <laughs> yeah i think that's what i was saying is i just 
can't imagine how you're going to justify any of these other books that are not the Underground Railroad. What are the, do you, any other contenders surprise. for you here? I think it depends on if anybody gets attached to like a fan favorite oh, kind of moment. Yeah. Like, you know, Station Eleven was really beloved. The Sellout by Paul Beatty. That's another great one. My Sister the Serial Killer. People really do like that. But I think anything coming up against the Underground Railroad is that's a tough fight and it should be um yeah you know very interesting yeah very I'm, very interesting to see and, you know, the other only other element of this that i'm curious about is um in the first round carolyn kellogg will be judging between the road by cormac mccarthy and the brief wondrous life of oscar wow by juno diaz and we don't see juno diaz get a whole no. lot of feature Lately, after the Me Too allegations that were made against him, and I will be curious in uh, curious about if or how um, that comes into the analysis as well. How unbelievable was the road? I still think about it from time to time. Like you just don't have reading experiences like that very often. It's been a long time, but like, wow! I've never read it. Oh. <laughs> wow. I mean, it is. It's like. I don't know. I don't know. It, and also, I recommended to a bunch of my friends at the time. Like, when did it come out? Two thousand? I can't even remember now. Um, but it went viral among my friend group, and everyone had mm. the same experience. Like, I had to read it all in one sitting because I couldn't put it down and get on with my life until I figured if I until I was done with it, and not in a good way necessarily, but a com- magnetic in in a way in which it sort of uh, compelled you to hold on to it and, until you were done. One of the singular mem- reading experience of my mm. recent memory too. So yeah. anyway. I've had a copy for like 10 years and I just keep waiting for my heart to feel like it's the right day. And shockingly, Well, it's going to be a while, I think, arrived. I guess, until you're ready. <laughs> Rebecca, that's our Someday. show. As always, you can shoot us an email podcast at bookwrite.com. Go read some Louise Gluck while you're out there. Get ready for us to talk about it next week. You and the listeners. I'm sorry, that was not assignment for you. That was an exhortation (laughs) for people out there to go check out Louise Gluck. I have to be ready for close reading. Oh, I know. We've got to do our our homework. Um, As always, you can find links at bookriot.com slash listen. We'll talk to you guys soon. Have a good one.